0: Here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. For a combined 45 years, professors Carol Robin, PhD, and David Bradford, PhD, taught how to break through superficial interactions, get real, and create meaningful connections with people in every aspect of life through Stanford's most popular course, Interpersonal Dynamics. Now they are letting the masses audit their class with their new book, Connect, building exceptional relationships with family, friends, and colleagues. Filled with real-life situations, the book is a framework that covers all the intricacies of relating to someone from expectations to conflict. There are simple things as well we can all do. For any connection, we want to strengthen. And any time you move from casual contact to something that's more meaningful, you enrich your life. David is the Eugene O'Kelly II Senior Lecturer Emeritus emeritus in Leadership at Stanford Graduate School of Business, where he helped develop interpersonal dynamics, or as they call it, touchy-feely, as well as most of the school's leadership curriculum. Curriculum. He is the author of numerous books, including Managing for Excellence, Influence Without Authority, and Power Up. Carol was the Dorothy J. King lecturer in leadership and director of the Arc Buckle Leadership Fellows Program at Stanford Graduate School of Business before co-founding Leaders in Tech, which brings the principles and process of touchy-feely to executives in Silicon Valley Prior to coming to Stanford, she had careers in sales and marketing management and was a partner in two consulting firms. And today we have David with us, and um, we're going to talk to David about this incredible book, Connect. So good morning, David, and welcome.
1: Thank you. Good to be here, Randy.
0: <laughs> it's so good to have you. Um, I'm honored because I have heard about that course. It is a very famous course. Um, so after developing this program and you know having it uh, be in Stanford for so many years, what um, drove you and Carol to want to write the book?
1: Well, I think it was two things. One is uh, we saw the impact on students and uh, felt the world needs this. But uh, really, the precipitating factor was a call that I received oh, five and a half years ago, from an editor in uh, Penguin Random House in London. And if I can fake an English accent, he said, uh, I hear you teach a course called Touchy-Feely. How would you like to do a book on it? (laughs) And I said, uh, it'll sell all of 600 copies. How about a book on um, how what it produces strong relationships? I I probably shouldn't have said that because he took me up on, on that and said, okay, you got a deal. So I went to Carol and Carol we we talked about it but it's it's challenging to turn an experiential course into a book but they, we decided to do it.
0: Yeah, it that really is because I'm in the process of turning a live workshop into an online course and it and it really is very very different. So I I understand the challenge. Uh so In your book, in the beginning of your book, you say that exceptional relationships can be developed, but they have six hallmark hallmarks. Um, So the first one is you can be more fully yourself, and so can the other person. Is there uh, something to elaborate on about that?
1: Yeah, I think that um, we that that in a certain sense sounds simple, but in some sense it's a bit risky because we all have the fear if you knew this about me, would I still be uh, somebody you'd want to know? If I'm a leader, would I be a leader that you would want to follow? Would you respect me? Would you like me? So it's always a risk. And we're not saying you share everything with everybody. I think that's a sign of mental illness. We are selective. But it's always a risk. And we help students uh, take that risk in a measured way.
0: So there's steps to um, opening up yourself to another person. Okay. That's right. And we'll we'll talk about Yeah. yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. It's a reciprocal thing. Uh, What we say is uh, what we suggest to students, and this applies to other dimensions as well, is we say um, take 15% risk. And uh, you don't take a 60% risk that – could be a little too dangerous and and spooky to both you and the other, Uh, try something. Try something small, but outside your comfort zone. And then see how that works. And if it doesn't work, you can be probably not a disaster. And the other person hopefully will reciprocate and take 15%, and then you could take something more. And you start to expand that comfort zone.
0: And the second one, which is really important in what you're saying, is both of you are willing to be vulnerable. That's so important. If you're have, if you dealing with somebody who's closed off, um, this will not work, right?
1: That's right. And you need to make sure that you don't do, do things that keep them closed off, like acting in judgmental ways or being too intrusive. So we say... Can you ask expanding sort of questions, not prosecuting attorney sort of questions? Um, Such questions like, uh, yeah, I'd like to know about that. Uh, Can you tell me more? Uh, How does that work for you? Which uh, shows that you really are curious, you really are interested in the other person, and hopefully they will feel supported and want to share
0: more. Hmm. Do you think that... um that people feel better when um, they get to share rather than just, you know, I mean, <laughs> I told you before that, you know, I, I work with um, narcissistic abuse, primarily narcissistic abuse, and it's a very one-sided conversation. So um, do you think when we ask questions to try to get to know somebody, that helps uh, lower the, the wall of vulnerability?
1: I think it is, but I think what's crucial is that we really want to know them. Now, I'm sure you've had the experience where somebody asks that question, but you sort of know it's pro forma. They want you to finish talking so they can talk. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not going to encourage me uh, because I I don't sense that they want to know David. But if I can get that, that you want to know me as I am, then I think it does make a big difference.
0: Mm, Okay, good. The third um, hallmark is you trust that self-disclosures will not be used against you. Yeah, that's a risk, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that's what we're always afraid of. Uh, that Somebody says, well, you said this about yourself. Isn't it true that? And you feel cornered and trapped. And, again, it's part of that not just they want to know you, but they're starting to care about you. And they don't want to have you feel uh, pinned to the wall like a, like a butterfly. And um, that's, uh, that's very important in relationships.
0: Okay. So the, let's see, where was I? Self-disclosure. Oh, you can be honest with each other. How do you know if you can be honest? So, so in other words, these hallmarks, it sort of goes in order. As you work through each one, it gets, you get to the next one?
1: Yes, and uh, I always worry when somebody says, well, I'm going to be brutally honest, because I usually (laughs) experience they're more brutal than they are honest. And and, uh, we make the distinction between sharing what you know, which is my reaction, versus sharing uh, the story I make up, the attribute I make up of the sort of person you are. And it's the latter one that tends to be um very judgmental, uh tends to create defensiveness, and also you you never know what goes on for the other person. And yet so many of our comments where we think we're honest is really an accusation. And we say, stick with what you know, stick with your reality.
0: Okay. It's good. It's good. Um Number five is you deal with conflict productively. How many people out there really know how to deal with conflict productively?
1: Too few, too few. And we we see conflict as um, something undesirable. We say, well, maybe um, this relationship isn't what I want to follow. And what we say is we say, excuse me, see conflict in a positive sense that it's a sign that something needs to be done. So we use the analogy, let's say you're driving to work and the uh, wheels seem a little wibbly and the steering isn't quite tight and there's a knocking in the engine. You don't say, bad car, bad car. You say, hey, I gotta fix this, I gotta work on it. So it's a sign that something has to be done. And if you can treat conflict as something we need to do together to improve the relationship, then it doesn't have to move into accusations. It gets into trouble when I say, it's your fault, I get into the blame game, and uh, you're the problem, rather than we've got a problem, and what can we do about it? Mm, and we agree. If, if you take that orientation, it can actually build a relationship, because I care enough about you and about us, but I want to work on this.
0: Yes, it's so true. It does build relationships. You have to have a certain amount of conflict. There's just no way you're going to get along all the time and agree all the time, and you know, especially uh, with somebody that you live with and married to and you know, you're know, you with for life. Um, that's you really, that's you know, really true.
1: Somebody once said, the only place where there's no conflict is a graveyard. And, uh <laughs> So um, it's a fact of life, so we need to learn how to deal with it effectively.
0: Yes. And the last one, number six, is both of you are committed to each other's growth and development. I think that is so important, and I think that, um, you know, for those who are listening who are in relationships with narcissists, they will find that that is only a one-way street. Um, being committed to each other's growth and development, that the other person is not committed to yours at all. Uh, So what do you have to say about, you know, this number six?
1: Yeah. Is it, see, what we talk about is each of us hold crucial information about the other, useful information, and we talk about the three realities. That is, I'm an expert on my motives and intentions, even though I may kid myself at times. I act in certain ways, use words, tones, and so on. Both of us see my behavior, but I don't know the impact of my behavior. You know that about me. So in the course we say, it takes two to know one. I need to know how you're reacting to me, uh, what feelings it produces, Oh, uh, how you're taking it in. And if you can share that with a desire to help the other person, you're going to help me be better because you know ways in which I may be inadvertently shooting myself in the foot. And you, you can help me get past that.
0: That's so true. Yeah, I really like that. So then you go into talking about um, false fronts and how people... Talk about you know on Facebook how how they're doing something and how much they're crushing it, um, yeah. But how exhausting it is to keep up with these, um, and then it, it creates somebody else to have to spin their truth.
1: That's very so, true, and, yeah. and there's a mm-hmm. second sort of trap to that. Let's say for a moment, I put on this image, and it works for you. I, I think it's hard to keep it going, but let's assume that it works for a while. That's even more disconfirming because it fits my fear that the real me isn't very desirable, but this false of uh, me really is. And um, that's totally undermining of any sort of sense of self-confidence. What, what we really want to do is to have a few important relationships where I can be myself and I'm accepted by you and I'm valued by you. And that's what the book is about is how to build that.
0: Can we have more than a few of these kind of relationships? Is, is, can we really be effective in our relationships if we have, um, you know, a whole host of people that we, we are doing this with?
1: Well, relationships are on a continuum. We, we clearly say and we strongly believe not all relationships can be exceptional. It's, it would be too exhausting. It would take too much time. And it isn't necessary relationships are in a continuum. There are some people that I may want to play tennis with, other people I want to go to a show with, other people I want to um, be able to talk about concerns I've got. And we need that continuum. And in all of those, these six dimensions apply to varying degrees. So a person that I have a close relationship with, I can be more honest, but not as honest as I am with Those are exceptional. And uh, we can have strong, robust relationships at work, but it's not going to be the same as a person that I am really intimate with, my partner, and uh, I can share much more with. So all of these relationships along this continuum are important, are necessary, and we can take any one of them and make them a little deeper and a little stronger if we want it. Hmm.
0: That's so that's all very true you're right. Yeah, I mean we can have all different kinds of relationships. Oh, so I'm reading um I think it's the first chapter you say as you become more important to each other the relationship also becomes increasingly complex obligations and expectations build as do potential points of contention? And how will you deal with these inevitable annoyances? Um, I think that's, that's a really good way to say it because they are annoyances. Um, you know, we notice things about other people that can drive us crazy, so how do we deal with that?
1: Yes, we use the term pinches. And, um, we, you know, this is not a not something that hasn't reached the point quite of driving ourselves crazy, and I'll get to that in a minute, but are sort of minor things or they're annoyances. And we're faced with the issue of, should I raise this or should I not? Because we don't want to come across as being super sensitive, and we do let many things pass. But the trouble is, if it's more than a minor pinch and we let it pass, it may grow and fester. So we say, raise it early. But it's not a capital crime. Now, when things annoy us or get to the point of, as you say, driving us crazy, our tendency, as I said, is to move into play rather than sticking with our reaction. So could I say, hey, Randy, I was really bothered when you did X. So I'm owning that I'm the one being bothered. Can we talk about that? And if it's a pinch, you're likely to say, oh, I'm sorry, and then we can move past it. But if it's more important, you're likely to say, well, what's going on? And I'm going to say, well, I felt, um, and I'm obviously making this up, well, I, I felt put down when you cut me off three times in a row. I, I felt devalued. And you can say, well, gee, I didn't mean to. I uh, was just sort of impatient because, David, you tend to go on and on. So so now we can start to talk about it and work it through. And what, again, is important is that in raising this, I stick with my reaction, what's happening to me, and then we move into problem solving.
0: And what if the annoyance is something that uh, the other person isn't willing to solve, like their they snore or the person is just just tends to be messy and you tend to be neat um, you know these kind of behaviors that or I guess snoring isn't necessarily behavior but these kind of annoyances that can be perpetual how do we deal with that
1: well I think that um, one of the Well, that's that's a very good question, and it's a a complex one, which is why I hesitated. (laughs) I think that um, one of the ways to do it is to do an assessment of, uh, is part of this me? Because we say interpersonal problems often have an interpersonal component. So uh, I use the example of interrupting I happen to interrupt a lot, so this is familiar. <laughs> if the other person feels bothered about it, uh, yes, I'm doing something that's giving that's leading them to have that reaction. But is there something about them? Do they? Am I doing other things where they don't feel valued, and this is sort of triggering this? The one way is to step back and say, Hmm, is that something about me? The other thing is, we say, when another person's behavior is bothering you, ask whether it's costing the other person. And the higher the cost, the more likely it is that they're going to change. So if I'm raising an issue with you, Randy, I'm going to start relatively low level. I'm not going to make it a capital crime at the beginning, and I'm going to say, well, I'm bothered about this. And you may brush it off. And I may then say, you know, it's getting in the way of our relationship, so I'm upping the ante. And we keep on upping the ante, hopefully until you say, okay, I'm going to work on it. Now, in spite of all that, if you don't want to work on it, uh, then it raises some question how far this relationship can go. And, of course, I'm going to want to raise that. That's one of the costs to say, hey, it's getting in the way of my wanting to be open with you. Is that the impact you want to have on me? So we keep on talking about the problems it's causing. Hopefully the other person will want to change. But there may become a point where we have to say to ourselves, is this relationship important enough that I can live with that problem? And, is it, and are there ways in which I can keep this problem from further damaging the relationship? And, of course, we may say the relationship isn't worth it. Not all relationships are, but we make an effort to try to improve it.
0: That makes sense. Yeah, good answer. Okay. (laughs) You're welcome. So um, how do we, I mean, I know for me, and I guess it's probably true for everybody, that it's really important that I'm accepted for who I am. And I have a very hard time with, um, you know, people who, who don't accept me for who I am. Is this something that everybody feels?
1: Yeah, I, I think the if we walk around feeling rejected by everybody, It's a dismal, destructive sort of world. I don't know how one could continue to exist uh, in, in that sort of world. But the danger is when we need to be accepted by everybody. And if that's true, then any one person has a lot of control over us. So this is why we say, are there four or five relationships that are really important? where we really need to be fully accepted. And that's what we rely on, because not everybody will accept us. It may be their issue. It may be that what I'm doing is just too problematic uh, for that person. But can I live with the fact that I'm not accepted by everybody and that we can still have a relationship that's as functional as it needs to be? So my tennis partner may not fully accept me, but he plays a good game, and that's enough. My business uh, colleague may not fully accept me, but we get the job done. So we need to be careful that we don't bend ourselves out of shape, acting in ways that get us accepted by everybody, because that's what leads us to present an image, distort ourselves, and so on. So can I live with the fact that you may not fully accept me? But that's okay, because I got other people who I really care about, who do know me and who do accept me, and that's what I rely on.
0: That's so important. Do do you think we have to accept ourselves first, though, before you know we know before other people can accept us?
1: I think it's an iterative process. Um, I think probably all of us at some point worry about accepting ourselves and there are parts that we want to deny. One of the fascinating things about this course, this touchy-feely course, is that students start to take the risk, and it is a risk, of showing more parts of themselves, especially parts that they may not feel very good about. And what they experience is, in most cases, that as others get to know them, that they are accepted. The other person may not like that behavior, but are not rejecting them as a person. And this course is very validating because what we're afraid of, gee, if I get angry, you're gonna reject me. And the other person says, Well, if you show your anger this way, I I can handle it. You know, if you don't uh, beat me over the head with it, uh, but just talk about what you're unhappy about, I can accept it. Then when we start to get accepted by other people, we start to accept that ourselves. And as we accept more in ourselves, we're then more willing to show to other people and to test it out. So it's a testing process. And again, we have to be careful about who we test this with. You're not going to do this with a stranger. You're not going to do this with a casual acquaintance. You're going to do this with people where there's already a foundation and you're building on that.
0: Right, right, absolutely. Um, What is the 15% rule?
1: Well, it's what I was leading to before, but let me expand on it because <clears throat> it's a nice thing about it. <clears throat> okay.
0: so we
1: want you to think about three concentric circles. The smaller one in the center is what we call the zone of comfort. And that's where I can share things about myself without any hesitancy and without any concern. You know, I've been married for 56 years. I have two kids this is what I do at Stanford, this is what it was like writing the book, Uh, that it's not a big deal. Then the circle outside of that is a zone of learning. And the outer circle is a zone of danger. And what we say is rather than sticking all the time in your zone of comfort and you don't learn anything and relationships don't grow when you do that, Can you take a 15% risk outside of your zone of comfort and see how that works? So can I share something a little more personal? And if that doesn't work, well, I can do some repair and do some retreating, but it's likely to work. And not only that, when I move 15% out of my comfort zone, maybe you'll do the same. And even better, we become comfortable with that, so my zone of comfort now increases, and I can take another 15%. So we say, don't move 45%, 60%. That's too scary for you and the other. Move mm-hmm. yeah. 50%, try it out.
0: Right. I remember years ago um, when I had come, you know, when I had was really working on my own personal development and, um, and I went to a therapist and she said, Randy, the problem is that your walls are either all the way up or they're all the way down. And when, the, and when they're all the way down, you're just spilling out everything. You're telling too much. And when they're up, you're shut, you know, you're shut down. That's right. Um, and that was really insightful for me. And she's yeah. like, there's got to be levels of... <laughs> of you know what you you know what you keep in and what you give out um so that's you know really what you're saying and it's don't give it all up at once i know that when people do that it can it can be very scary and you look at that person and you wonder why are they sharing so much with me when they that's, don't even really yeah. know me right
1: right <clears throat> and, um, and, and also it changes with each individual and um what you can share and we test it out but if we always stay with superficial talk as you're saying with the walls up it doesn't go anywhere and we don't learn anything
0: mm, it's true <clears throat> um you talk about why emotion <clears throat> why emotions get a bad rap in this book and um yeah some people really don't like emotions they don't like them coming from you They don't like to share their own. And there is this stigma and stereotype that keeps going on uh, about emotions. So are emotions good? Are we supposed to share them?
1: Emotions are crucial. And uh, I'm always amused when I hear a manager say, we'll leave emotions out of this. And that's a manager who uses emotions all the time because doesn't he or she say uh, I'm worried that our customer may not be satisfied, I'm uh, excited about this new product, I'm disturbed that this uh, report was late, I'm uh, concerned that uh, things are not going to turn out. That manager is using emotions all the time and why emotions are crucial is several reasons. One is It gives meaning to facts. So let me tell a little story. As I said, I tend to interrupt. Now, Carol, my co-author, I interrupt her all the time. Well, she interrupts me all the time, and it's fine, because we see interruption as a sign of engagement really being in there with the other person. And I'll never forget the time that Daniel, another colleague, frowned. And I said, Daniel, what's the matter? He said, you interrupted me. I said, so? He said, that's inconsiderate. And I went, wow. I said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. Now, is the fact interrupting good or bad? A useless statement. It's good with Carol because the feeling she puts on it is engagement, um, commitment. It's bad with Daniel. So feelings give meaning to events. Not only that, but feelings tell what's important. So if somebody says, I'm a little bothered, or says, I'm annoyed, or says, I'm upset, or says, I'm really angry, those are very different, and I need to know that. So imagine working with a Mr. Spock of Star Wars where there are no feelings, you don't know where the other person stands. So again, feelings are important and we need to use them in judgmental ways, in, in ways that are appropriate, not in judgmental ways, in ways that are appropriate. And I think when people say, I don't like feelings, what they're probably saying is, it's the level of feelings that I have trouble with. Well, I want to dial down a little bit, but I still want to use them.
0: Yeah, I mean, we all be, meet people who are just, um, well, histrionic. <laughs> um, who just, just, you know, <laughs> overwhelming emotion. You know, everything is emotion. Everything is a ten. Everything goes way up.
1: That's right. Uh, and
0: th- that is so off-putting. Do Do you think anybody? Um, can enjoy that kind of uh, vomiting of emotions? <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: you see, the, the question is, it, it seems like a 10 to us, but it may not be a 10 to them. So let me tell another story. I was consulting to a um, division of Philips Electronics years ago, And in this team that I was working with, the the head of it was from the Netherlands, because it's a Dutch company. It had another person from the Netherlands on the team. It had a person from Norway. It had an Israeli. It had a person from Brooklyn. It had a person from uh, Minneapolis. By the way, those are two
0: different cultures. Mm -hmm.
1: And uh, (laughs) it was having real trouble, because the person from Brooklyn would say, we've got real problems with this client. And the person from Norway or Minneapolis would be backed into a corner. And we then said, well, let's share our code book. So when the Israeli or the person from Brooklyn talked that loud, it was about three on a ten-point scale. When the person from Minneapolis said, I'm a little worried about this this, uh, decision, it was seven on a ten-point scale. So again when we knew where it was, we could handle greater verbosity from the person from Israel or Brooklyn and we could listen more carefully to the person from Norway and Minneapolis. And that's part of what we do with relationships. We learn to calibrate. When they say that, what does it really mean? And again, this is something that we need to talk about. So I may want to say, well, John, you really seem agitated. Are you really that upset? And John may say, well, well, no, of course not. Then I know how to deal with them, and I don't assume it's a 10 on a 10-point scale. But for him, it's really three on a 10-point scale, and we can move forward.
0: You know, I'm just trying, I'm just thinking about, you know, putting this into play. And I don't know that people, you know, can, not all. I mean, I could receive it. Maybe you could receive it. Um, I know people that can receive it. Some people are going to be like, "What?" You know, um, they don't want to. Um, they don't want to look at themselves. They don't want to look at others. They just want to give, live, and um, do their thing. Uh, should we be? Should we be considerate of how other people receive us?
1: Uh, If we want to be effective, Um, if what I'm doing is turning you off, that's hurting me. This is why we say feedback is a gift. And it's back to my statement when I said there are three realities and I don't know the impact of my behavior. Is that if I'm doing something that's getting you to turn me off, that's not helping me. Um, That's uh, not allowing me to be effective. So, again, can we, in giving feedback, be aware of, is their behavior not only annoying me, but is it hurting them? And can I say both? Can I say, hey, Randy, you know, I was really bothered about that, and, you know, I think it's getting in the way of our relationship and my really listening to you. Um, Then you might be interested. So... I think that when we say the people aren't interested in feedback, I think it's often the way we give it, which is more accusatory, Mm
0: -hmm. than it is
1: being helpful.
0: Yeah, Um, you're right.
1: And it also might be timing. This may not be the time that you want to hear it, and we may need to sit down in an hour and have another discussion.
0: You know, it just brings to mind, I had an employee years ago who, she just rubbed all the other employees the wrong way. And when she was in the break room, nobody else would be there. Everybody, or if she walked into the break room, everybody would leave because she was so annoying and so in everybody's business. And, um, you know, and I felt annoyed by her as well. <laughs> so... Um, because she would follow me around. She would talk. and fo- I could say, you know, well, I have to go in my office and do something. And she would just hold the door. You know, she'd be like, well, let me just tell you this. Um, so I decided to talk to her about it. Because everybody's uh-huh. like, you can't change this person, you know. And I said, you know, I'm going to just give her the, the benefit of sharing with her how she is uh, impacting other people. Oh, and we uh, had a great discussion, and she thanked me. She said, I had no idea I was coming off like that. Uh, you know, so... I'll
1: um you uh, to take I, that risk.
0: Yeah, it was a risk, but, you know, I was, I was the boss, I was the owner, and I, you know, I figured all right, she's a human being, let's see if we can do something with this before we just kick her out, you know. Um, right. So, you know, we were able to work with that. I mean, you know, her behavior didn't really change, but I think everybody kind of calmed down a little bit around her because she was well, my guess putting is in.
1: Your mm-hmm. probably did change a little bit, not as much as all of you wanted, mm-hmm. but I wonder if there was something else that happened that now you could talk about it so i'm going to call her sally. so when she's hanging by the door i would guess it now would be easier to say hey sally you're doing it again come on conversation's over. and she would say oh yeah okay that's right. so so you now had a way to raise a topic when she did do a little too much.
0: right. Yeah. that's true. that's true. yeah. you're right and, and- i believe i did do that. <laughs> Say, yep. I'd say, come on, you know, you know, I told you about this or something like that. However, I say it because I tend to be um, pretty direct. So,
1: uh, Randy, let me build on something that you've talked about. When, sure. When your other employees said, oh, she, she won't change, that's the way she is, we assume that we're talking about personality change, and that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about behavior change and we all have much more control over our behavior than we think we do and you're not trying to change their personality you're trying to change how they act and that's what we need to focus on and a little while ago in our conversation which was I was really struck with it Randy you caught yourself about uh, you said oh that's not a behavior and it's so important that we focus on behavior and not make attributes of their personality or character.
0: Yeah, you're right. You know, it's the same thing, I guess, you know, when we're raising children and <laughs> we and they do something wrong and we say bad boy or bad girl. You don't want to do that. You want to focus on the behavior, not the child. I think Absolutely. we've all heard that. And so we need to apply that, I guess, in our adult relationships.
1: That's right. That's right. And one of the things we stress in the course and in the book very much is the whole notion of choice, that we all have much more choice than we think we do. In fact, in the course, when people say, I can't, we make the distinction that, can't really refers to something physical, like I can't jump out the second story window and survive. Uh, So when people say, well, I can't, my response is, no, you're choosing not to. That's your choice. I'm sorry you're making that choice because this is a cost to you, but you are making that choice. And it's really holding people to the fact that, that we are choiceful animals. Oh, uh, that's what
0: human beings are. That's true. Yeah, we are. We are. I used to do that with my son, and it really worked. You know, when he would get upset, <laughs> my sister used to laugh at me. I would, I would always, when he would get upset, I'd always give him choices. Instead of saying, mm-hmm. stop that behavior, <laughs> I would say, yeah. okay, well, we have a choice here. You can either cry and you can be miserable or we can move on with our day and go get some ice cream. (laughs) What would you rather do? What would you rather do? Um, Yes. You know, and he would stop. He'd say, I don't want to cry anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. He would stop. (laughs) But you're Um, right. We've learned to do it with
1: kids and we need to do it with each other.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Kids need to have personal power. Uh, they need to help. They need to be involved in decision making, rather than yep. being told what to do. Okay, so let's talk about giving advice. Um, there are people who just think that I mean they want to tell you. They think they know better, and you're not. You don't want to hear it. But then they get upset because you don't want to hear it and you're not listening. So
1: yeah,
0: let's talk about advice.
1: Okay, we argue, and it's been my experience that advice is almost always useless the trouble is the other person really rarely fully understands your situation and the advice they give is how they would do it given their goals and their style and usually what they advise me i've already thought about so i've got a good friend who loves to give advice almost never been helpful Now, there's other times he's been very helpful, but it's by asking open-ended questions, not telling me how he would do it. So, the advice is a real trap. We want to be helpful, and we think that being helpful is telling them what to do. But that's not what's really helpful. What's often helpful is giving them space for them to think it through or asking exploratory questions like, well, what options have you considered? What do you see are the pros and cons of these? What are you concerned about? Those help that person think more deeply. And I believe that in most situations, people have within themselves the answer. They don't need our answer. They need maybe some space, some support and they're exploring the answer. So watch. we need to watch ourselves when our tendency is to give advice because we mostly want to give advice for our needs, not, not for them.
0: I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. So, so with my clients, sometimes they'll go off and they'll go on some kind of forum and they'll ask a question and somebody who has not done any work on themselves and is just on that forum because they want to complain gives them some kind of crazy answer. And then the person <laughs> comes back to me and they're all worried and upset, you know? And I said, I said <laughs> please, please don't go on these forums because people's opinions are not going to be, are not necessarily what you need to hear right now, you know? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it does. It can really upset you when you hear the wrong thing.
1: Well, the, the trouble is, then we are caught because if I reject your idea, are you going to feel rejected? Uh, do I have to explain why I don't think that's going to work? It's a waste of time. So uh, I had an interesting experience some time ago. A colleague came into my office and said, uh, David. I need your advice, and this was before I really realized what I now know about the uh, uselessness of advice. Well, I set up and I was trying to be helpful, and he said, I don't know whether I ought to do option A or option B, and I tried to listen carefully, and he went on in more detail. And it was clear as he was talking that option B was the right answer. Then he said, well, this has really been very helpful It's clear that I should do option A. Thanks a lot, David. And he left. And I wanted to say, wait, wait, you haven't heard my opinion. (laughs) And what uh, I realized after he left was, no, I had been helpful. I've been helpful in giving him space to listen. Now, was option B wrong? It probably wasn't wrong for me if I was in that situation. But it was really not. Uh, appropriate for Jim. And he figured out what he needed.
0: Yeah. A lot of times that's all you have to do is give people space to begin to talk and share. And they they do figure it out. They just need to talk it out sometimes. Yeah.
1: And, And again, what we stress is, I've said it several times, I can't stress enough, the value of open-ended exploratory questions, most of the questions we have are closed-ended. That is, could be answered in yes or no. Have you thought of doing X is not nearly as helpful as what are the options you've thought about. So closed-ended questions get the person into a box. Open-ended questions open a lot of doors.
0: You're right. You're right. It's really, all we have to do is guide people to find their own solutions. That's the best way to do it. But, well, and there's a lot Randy, of... Randy,
1: ready? No, I, I, I... You said something that's important, but I don't want to let it pass. It's not to guide them, because think about it. If, if you're with a guide, they know the destination, right? That's why we hire oh, yeah. them as a guide. You're right. So, um this is really really important. This we say you want to get into inquiry and you're um you're curious. Now the root of inquiry is quest. And when we're on a quest, we don't know where the destination is. When we're a guide, we think we know where the destination is.
0: And therein
1: is the trap.
0: You're right. Oh my gosh! Wow, that's great. <laughs> thank you for pointing that out. You see, I'm glad that you said that. Thank I'm you. not defensive. I, I learned something. <laughs> oh, thank you. So, <laughs> um, there's a chapter or a subchapter called "Beware the Feedback Sandwich." What is that? <laughs>
1: Yes, it drives me crazy when training programs talk about this. So the feedback sandwich, and here I'm, of course, making this up, Randy, is when I say, Randy, um, you really have a a very nice voice in this interview. However, there is this problem I want to talk about. But I know you're really a well-intentioned sort of person. So I've said something positive, supposedly. I then give you the meat in the sandwich, and then I end with something positive. Now, the trouble with that is, many troubles. One is, it doesn't fool you. As soon as you hear me say, well, you know, you really do something really nice, your defenses are up, you're suspicious, you're waiting for the butt. Even worse than that, it invalidates positive feedback, which is also a source of learning. But if I take the orientation that, A, I want to help, and you're doing something that is hurting you, I don't need to say something nice at the beginning because this is something that's going to be helpful. So three but four minutes ago, I didn't have to say, oh, Randy, you're really very good and so on, but you now used a word that bothers me a little bit. You know, we, we, we cut to the chase. Right, so exactly. So if you focus on behavior, your intention is to help, you're pointing out where they may be paying a cost at what they're doing, you don't need to go through that uh, that routine.
0: So you don't need to soften the blow.
1: No, because the blow isn't that big a blow. Right. Because if you say, here's where it's important. If you say, David, I'm bothered when you interrupt me. I mean, I have a couple of times. That's not a blow. But if you say, David, you're so damn inconsiderate <laughs> with your inconsiderate, that's a blow. You're right. That's, fact. that's an attribution that I'm inconsiderate. Mm-hmm. I think I'm just eager. I don't think I'm inconsiderate. But if it bothers you, I want
0: to pay attention to that. <laughs> Eager. Oh, that's that's a good way to say it. Yeah, I don't think you I I don't um feel like you've interrupted me at all. No, I just think we're discussing something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well you uh, haven't bothered you that I interrupted you, which I just said now.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, it doesn't it doesn't bother me, you know, because You know, we both have something to say, and we're going somewhere with this conversation. Right, right.
1: (laughs) Great conversation.
0: Yeah, okay. So then there is um, people who, when they are, um, when you share how you feel, I'm going to word that carefully, when you share uh, your observation or how you feel, um, they go immediately into denial, defensiveness, um, making excuses, blaming. <laughs> we all know people like that that it doesn 't matter how you say it they 're going to to resist it. Is there a way well, around that?
1: Yes, there is I think first, I would get into curiosity, and I would again, making all this up. I would say, Randy, I'm seeing a pattern of behavior. And I don't understand what's going on. And it's just, and I I would name the behavior you just alluded to. When I raise issues, you tend to have excuses. You tend to have explanations. You did it uh, 10 minutes ago. You did it yesterday at the meeting. You did it. And when I can name the the specific behavior, um, it's, in a sense, indisputable, Um, so on. And then I get to curiosity. Then what I want to do is, um, well, hopefully what happens is you repeat it. You say, well, it's it's because of uh, this reason. See, Randy, it's now happening right now. So we're afraid of raising it because we think they'll do it again. But if they do it, we could point it out right now. But then I'm going to go back and think about how is this costing you in our relationship. And let's assume that uh, I'm your boss. Let's think of that situation. And I I think to myself and I say, gee, when Randy does that, it decreases my tendency to give her feedback. So now I can say, Randy, when you do that, I'm less likely to uh, give you feedback that tries to help you. Do you want to have that impact on me? And uh, you may say, yeah, I don't want to get any developmental feedback. And say, okay, that's your choice. It's got some real costs, um, but uh, that's what you're saying. But you're making that choice. So I want to point out the impact of this pattern of behavior, my response. Gee, Randy, I, um, it makes me less likely to want to give you interesting assignments because I am uh, i can't tell you when I think you might be going off the wrong way.
0: Mm. Wow. Is, is, you want,
1: Randy? So, again, right. I'm putting the responsibility back on you because you're making a choice.
0: Well, that's, uh, I wish everybody would communicate this way. Oh, what a nice place this world would be.
1: It would be more effective. And, yeah. and also we'd be less rest frustrated.
0: Mm-hmm. You're right. You're absolutely right. It's so easy, and calm, and logical, and fair. Um,
1: no, 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 no. Wait, wait a minute. Uh,
0: did I, I use the wrong word there?
1: No, no. I, I, I think I just want to add to something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, my, my tone is calm, uh, but I, I may be a little more upset, and I may want to say, you know, I'm really bothered about this, Randy. Um, and it's getting in the way of our working together. So I'm, I'm not going to use a quiet therapeutic tone. I may have sounded like that. And I may share how upset I am. I want to share my feelings, because mm-hmm. that's
0: part of how you're impacting me. Right. Exactly. But you don't want to let loose. I mean, you don't want to just... um. You know, pour out, you know, um, I think you call it letting go go of steam or something like that. You don't want to go full force letting all your steam out on somebody. You you do have to um, calculate how you're going to say something to be effective in the way that you're saying it, right?
1: Right. And what I don't want to do is to move into blame and accusations. Right. Because that's what causes pain and defensiveness. Now, might be so upset, but again, I want to share that. I may want to say, Randy, I am so upset at what has happened that I don't trust myself of what I'm Mm -hmm. going to say. So I need 10 minutes to cool down a little bit, but we're coming back to this. So I may want to share that I am really so upset that I need a break. But I need the break, and I'm not just going to go and lash out at you.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's a really good thing to do because you're going to say things that you don't want to say in a way that you're, you know, that you're going to regret saying them. Yeah. So the last thing I wanted to bring up, because we're, we're pretty much out of time, but I just wanted to bring this up, is something I call the kitchen sink. <laughs> where <laughs> where somebody <laughs> ineffectively, in order to make a point, they put in everything they can think of that you've ever done wrong to prove that what you're doing now is wrong or bothersome. And That's really called, what they're doing, what it's you It's called
1: say? gunny-sacking. It's called gunny-sacking. So I'm, I've had this pinch, I've had this annoyance, but I haven't raised it. And I've shoved it in my gunny sack, and then all of a sudden I'm going to turn this gunny sack over and pour it all out on you. Now that's unfair. That's really unfair. And this is why we say, when you're bothered, raise it early. By the way, one of the questions with pinches is we don't want to raise every one. What's the criteria of what to raise and what not to raise? And I think there's a couple of things to think about. One is, if you find yourself stewing on it, if it comes back a second time and you're a little more bothered, raise it. The other thing is to change the words we think about. As we often say, it's not worth it to ourselves. We say that to ourselves. Change the it to you, me, or we. You're not worth it. I'm not worth it, we're not worth it. And all of a sudden, we may realize it is worth it.
0: I really like that. That's that's a great, um, I don't want to call it a tool, but it's, it's just a great a way tool. to deal. Is it? Okay, let's call it a tool. Okay. Um, it's a great tool for um, building relationships, it is. Yep. I like that. That's Again a, that's and again
1: fun. I'm raising this problem because it's getting in the way of our relationship and mm-hmm. I think it's hurting your effectiveness.
0: Yeah. yeah. Very good. I'm gonna remember that one. Well, we are out of time. This has been great. I I've really enjoyed talking to you about this. And um I've, well, it's been great yeah. fun. Yeah, good and question. your book good. And your book, um, Your book is "Connect: Building Exceptional Relationships with Family, Friends, and Colleagues," and um, you you said this was published by Penguin. Uh,
1: It's published in England by Penguin Random House and the U.S. by Crown Random House.
0: Okay. Well, congratulations on on that. I mean, that they came to you for that—that's exciting.
1: Yep, it is, and we're uh, into our second um, uh, publishing. and it's being translated into 14 foreign languages.
0: Wow. That's amazing. Well, you were right, and one of the first things you said is how important it, this is, that you, you wanted this book out, because it's so important, and I agree with you. I think it is, and I'm really, really, I feel really privileged that I got to, um, to represent you and uh, represent this book and, and talk to you. So it's been an absolute pleasure, David. Thank you. Tell Carol I missed her <laughs> we missed her, but we had a good discussion without her, so all right, it was well, and, you know, fun. yeah, well, um good luck with um with this book um, I think you'll sell more than six hundred copies, and um have a great day.
1: you too, okay, <laughs> bye then.
0: <laughs> thank you, bye-bye. Uh, so we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions, you can email me at love your Life at randyfine.com, Randy, R-A-N-D-I. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, dot com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.